Welcome to High Cheese. Today is Friday, January 6, 2023. And after 13 rounds, we still have no Speaker of the House. Poor Kevin McCarthy. And I think they're headed into the 14th round very soon. And uh, if they do pick a Speaker, or if there's a, a finality uh, on the vote on the 14th round, my wife's going to come in and just uh, let us know. And it's funny, if you listen to the mainstream media or the Democrats, oh, this is terrible. This is the worst thing. It's so disorganized. You see what you get when you get the Republicans? And this couldn't be farther from the truth. And let me tell you, uh, one of the reasons why you have initially these 20 holdouts, and one is because, and one of the, and I'll get into a couple other uh, reasons later, but one of the reasons was the omnibus bill. Here you had a 4,000-page omnibus bill that was struck behind closed doors. And one thing you have to understand with the, the way they do things in Washington today, this omnibus bill was generated in the modern-day back room, which is where the swamp thrives. You know, instead of uh, the old smoke-filled rooms, you remember hearing the smoke-filled rooms? Well, now they're not smoke-filled rooms. They're just meeting at some consultant's office, some lobbyist firm, and they're putting these bills together, this omnibus bill, the budget. This $1.7 trillion mammoth that was foisted on the American people, essentially without notice. So you had this $1.7 trillion huge bill. And again, what I was saying before is that these bills are created by a combination of elected officials, their staff, lobbyists, and consultants. They're all sitting down in the back rooms, although they're not smoke-filled anymore. And these are the people that are putting our legislation together. And then what happens when it hits the floor? There's no debate. They don't allow debate. When it hits the floor, no debating. We already put this together, the consultants, the lobbyists, my staff, everyone with a vested interest except the American people. Oh, maybe a few American people, defense departments, people with contracts, politicians that are looking to take care of some of the constituents with contracts. Not you and not me. We're at the bottom of the list here. And then it gets thrown out. You got to vote for it. Time's running out. It's December 22nd. Vote for it when nobody's looking. When people are busy traveling to visit grandma and grandpa for Christmas, I think it's the middle of Hanukkah, and that's why they pushed this thing out. And I think these 20 people got fed up. They said, no more of this. And Kevin McCarthy represented these backdoor deals at the expense of the American people. He's been in Washington, I think, for 14 years, and that's a good chunk of the period that you and most of Americans have been screwed by Washington. He was right in the thick of this thing. And then you got the media out there. See, oh no, this, this isn't the way government should be run. Everything should be smooth. Everything should be done beforehand. That's the way they want it. That's the way the media wants this. They want people with the inside information putting these bills together and then feeding the information to the media. So as long as the media gets information on what, these, what the bills are all about before they come out, they're happy with that. Nice little package. But again, these... 20 holdouts originally. They don't think that's the way government should be run. It should be more transparent. Oh, and one of the things that really got me on, you know what was tucked into this omnibus bill? 
was the Electoral Count Act. Now, I don't know if you remember on January 6th. Oh, by the way, happy January 6th. Say a prayer for those political prisoners in Washington. Because quite frankly, they are nothing more than political uh, prisoners. For what they've been charged with and what they've gone through, they are nothing more than political prisoners of the Democratic Party and the swamp. But I digress. Oh, so where were you? The Electoral Count Act. You remember January 6th when it was up in the air about whether Mike Pence, the vice president, had the authority to send back some of the electors to take a second look. And you had all these people, oh, we can't do it. It's unconstitutional. It's against the law. Well, you know what they tucked in this omnibus bill? The Electoral Count Act, a revision into the Electoral Count Act. So now under this new law that they tucked into the $1.7 trillion budget, the vice president no longer can kick back the electors to the states to take a second look. So remember when all those people were saying, oh, the vice president doesn't have the authority to do this? Well, apparently he did. Because if he didn't, why did they have to change the law that prevents a vice president from doing so in the future? And does this electoral act have anything to do with the budget? All the earmarks that they gave to the outgoing senators, millions and millions of dollars to colleges, for example, that don't need the money. Universities, state universities, do they really need millions and millions of dollars? And as I said before, I think a lot of these outgoing senators that voted for this were looking for a job and they'll likely land at one of the universities in their states. And for these 20 holdouts, the way that Washington has been doing things behind closed doors is undemocratic and is not to the benefit of the American people. And they just want to start change. Now, the funny thing, too, also, is you talk to the Democrats, they're talking about, oh, this is terrible. You're holding up uh, the operations of government. Hey, believe you me, they're not holding up anything. The only thing they're holding up is they're delaying the inevitable investigations into Hunter Biden, a Ukraine audit, an investigation into Fauci and the CDC and the whole COVID response. And it's funny is when you ask these Democratic officials, well, what's being held up? They really don't have an answer. Uh, well, um, maybe... Uh, well, the constituents may, uh, they may not be able to help their constituents. That's it. And then they talk about the uh, debt ceiling. Oh, they're going to hold up the debt ceiling. We won't be able to pay our bills. Well, the debt ceiling, probably in my calculation, isn't going to be an issue until sometime in June. Right around there, give or take several weeks. So June, six months from now. And then they say, oh, well, what happens if we get attacked and there's an emergency? We need to respond. Well, believe me, if we get attacked, the House will come to some kind of conclusion in order to respond to some kind of military attack or, uh, or uh, emergency. But again, this is the way the spot swamp wants it run. And when they use the term, oh, things aren't running smoothly, it's just a code word for them about how the swamp operates. Everything done behind the scenes. All the people with the vested interests, that's their definition of smooth. Take care of the insiders. We don't want anyone disrupting the apple cart. We want nobody that's going to flip the desk of the money changers. 
Okay, my wife just alerted me that they had the 13th try at it, and it was unsuccessful for McCarthy. I think McCarthy got 214 votes. Some of the original 20 had voted for him, and there's six remaining Republicans that will not vote for McCarthy. And they agreed to uh, adjourn until 10 o'clock tonight. Let me just read the names of the remaining six. And again, McCarthy got 214 votes. I think he needs 218. Someone mentioned 217 because somebody didn't show up, but I I think it's 218. Those that still have not voted for McCarthy include Andy Biggs from Arizona, Lauren Boebert from Colorado, Eli Crane from Arizona, Matt Getz from Florida, Bob Good from Virginia, and Matt Rosendale from Montana. And, you know, I just, there may be some confusion about when I'm talking about this group of 20 that refused to vote for McCarthy. And some may ask, well, Darren, aren't there more than 20 MAGA representatives in the House? And yes, there are. And here's what's confusing. The confusing thing is Trump had come out and endorsed McCarthy a month or two ago. And there are MAGA representatives that are, you know, they're loyal to Trump. And so they're going to vote for McCarthy. You know, and that includes like MTG, Hageman from the new Wyoming representative. So people get a little confused about, well, why is there only 20 MAGA? Well, there's a lot more. Just that it's got confusing because Trump had endorsed McCarthy. And so people say, well, why did Trump endorse McCarthy? And I think uh, Trump's perspective is that, look, McCarthy groveled enough. He went down to Mar-a-Lago, kissed the ring. He also came out and said that he was going to make life very difficult for those senators, those Republican senators that had voted for the $1.7 trillion package. But there's always the credibility problem with McCarthy because he's been a member of the swamp for so long. He was handpicked by Paul Ryan for leadership positions. He's been on record saying that, you know, right after on January 6th that he's going to tell Trump he should resign and then later denied it. But then the recording came out and he's backtracking quite a bit. So there's a, there's a big trust issue with McCarthy. And I, I guess Trump's position is, ah, you know, he, he paid his dues. He groveled enough. He said the right things enough time. So let's give him a shot. But that wasn't good enough for those 20. And here's the mistake that the mainstream media and the Democrats are making about this whole situation. I I read in Drudge, it said MAGA is dead. And this is their mistake. They don't realize that MAGA is bigger than Trump. It's always been that. And Trump realizes that. This MAGA movement is bigger than Trump. MAGA knows it. Trump knows it. Unfortunately, the Democrats and the media don't know it. So just remember that. Let's take a look at a couple of the items that the 20 Patriots are looking for McCarthy to concede to. And let me just go down a short list. Um, They want a balanced budget. They want one representative to be able to ask for a no confidence vote for the speaker. So at any time, if McCarthy gets nominated and a year down the road, they're not happy, all it will take is just one Republican representative to say, hey, look, I want a no confidence vote. And then they go through this whole process again. Now, I don't know what it is right now. I think it's 
it, it's over five because I think originally that uh, McCarthy would concede to five. I don't know where he is right now. He's probably conceding to one. Another thing they want is uh, a resolution on term limits. They want a bill passed on term limits. Now, the next one you may not think is important, but it's really important with the operations of the House. And what the the Patriots want is they want more MAGA representation on the Rules Committee. And what the Rules Committee does, it sets the rules surrounding any bill that's headed to the floor for a vote. So, for example, they could set uh, a rule that limits debate on any bill before it goes to the floor for a vote. And that's why it's so powerful. And here's the unique thing, and this is what bothers me about these, uh, the House and, and the Senate, is that at any point they can just change the rules on anything. So, you know, that's why they were able to get these uh, massive budget bills passed. Because all they need to do is just change the rules. They don't like the rule that allows other members of the House to speak about a piece of legislation. They just change the rules. Oh, no, you, you can't speak. So what uh, what the Patriots want is they want a, the Rules Committee to include more MAGA. Because the Rules Committee can always say, look, Mr. Speaker, you can't do what you want to do. You can't change these rules. We, we tell you, the committee tells you we cannot that you cannot change these rules. But the problem is if the Speaker of the House has his own cohorts as members of the Rules Committee, they're going to do essentially whatever he wants. Or he can do essentially whatever he wants. So you put more MAGA people on the Rules Committee, hey, if McCarthy wants to change some rules that they're not happy with, they can always come back and say, nope, can't do it, my friend. And this is important. And then also they want the ability to cut appropriation bills or they want to make it easier for members of the House of Representatives to cut appropriation bills. Because right now, you know, particularly these appropriation bills, it's all done behind the scenes with a, a small group of people. And I mentioned it before, lobbyists, consultants, all the political insiders, and they essentially cut out the rest of the House of Representatives. And for years, this happened on both sides because because of the uniparty, because of the rhinos were always in bed with the Democrats. Most of these patriot types got cut out of any type of legislation, particularly on the appropriation side. So these patriots wanted it easier for a House member to speak up and say, hey, wait, I want to amend this. I want to amend this uh, bill that we are considering passing. And this is all done for you and me. And at some point, these patriots are going to have to take a leap of faith if they ultimately nominate McCarthy. Because what's going to happen is you, before you can pass any of these rules and, and put uh, more MAGA people on the rules committee, you have to nominate McCarthy first. And then McCarthy is going to see that MAGA gets what it wants. So all of these uh, patriots, they are taking a leap of faith. So they have to assume if they vote for McCarthy that he's going to do what he wants. Because quite frankly, he doesn't have to. Once he gets in as, uh, as the Speaker of the House, he can do whatever the heck he wants. He can just ignore MAGA if he wants to. I don't think he will. 
but he can. And these six remaining patriots, they have reservations about that. I was watching the war room and they had Representative Rosendale from Montana. He said, quite frankly, he goes, I just don't trust McCarthy. I don't trust that if he gets my vote, he's going to do what he said he was going to do. So that's the risk that these patriots are taking. So then all eyes will be on McCarthy and what he does if he gets the nomination. But it's kind of up in the air. Well, it is up in the air. So with that said, my wife had said that, you know, they'll they'll be back at 10. And I will be back at 10, bringing you an update. But there's a couple of other items I wanted to talk about. And let's get to those. And one of the items I wanted to talk about is uh, Frank Luntz. And I'm going to go to a clip. And Frank Luntz has an argument with Joe Kernan from CNBC. And uh, just to fill you in, Frank Luntz is uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy's roommate in Washington. He's got some kind of weird relationship with Frank Luntz. And Frank Luntz is a kind of Republican pollster. He likes to play himself as a Republican pollster. But, you know, he's more of a swamp creature than anything else. He was never Trumper. I think he still is. And here he is. He's talking about George Santos, the lion representative. And he's virtue signaling that Santos should take a good look at himself. He may want to consider just stepping aside. And uh, Joe Kernan comes in and says, well, wait a second. You know, how about Joe Biden? How about all these other uh, politicians that have lied? And uh, then they get into an argument. And Let's go to the clip and then we'll come back and discuss. Washington, and it starts today, it starts right now. Will they believe that this is a place they can trust? Will they believe that this is a place that's filled with people who don't deserve their respect? Shouldn't be, shouldn't be doing any resume, resume padding. But I did see a lot of people last week. Just, you know, they were all up in arms on Twitter. You know, Elizabeth Warren and Michael. Blum- How about Blumenthal? When we came back from Vietnam. Totally condemnable. Terrible. But we still, he's still there. Still a senator with all the. Get rid of him. It's just hard to throw stones, some of these. And and then as far as, you're going back to the 70s for Joe Biden. You can't, you don't have anything more recently than the 70s for. Now, I'm not sure he knows (laughs) that he's lying. That's the only problem. Look. Well, at certain points, he never talked about Hunter, about any business arrangements. Never. I think that. Well, we don't don't know about that. But I think. Uh, Go ahead, Frank. Don't do this. Don't oh, do this. Cal- oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're m- Mr. Come Together. Oh, yeah. You've stirred we up a lot have- of stuff over the years, Frank. This is the country we're in right now. I'm sorry. This is where we no. are. And, and you and Arthur Brooks can, you know, hold hands and sing Kumbaya. Now, a couple of interesting things I wanted to point out. Oh, just to, as a note, Joe Kernan and uh, Rick Santillia, two of the uh, only conservatives on CNBC. And uh, Santilli plays the game less than Joe Kernan does. But um, you know, I, I like both of them, but let's get back to McCarthy's roommate, Frank Luntz. And I think it's a little self-serving what Frank Luntz is talking about. He's virtue signaling and he doesn't want uh, Republicans to get in an argument about how far do you go back on a politician to see when they lied? Well, isn't that really, really, uh, convenient? Meanwhile, his roommate is up for speaker of the house. And Luntz's position is that, oh, yeah, you don't want to go back so far on politicians to see whether they lied or not. Because I'm sure if you went back on McCarthy, you could find out some whoppers. And one of the whoppers is is what he did on J6 
when he said he was going to ask Trump to resign. And he denied it. And then the audio came out. So this is all too convenient to Frank Luntz. And then Kernan comes back and just hammers him. He goes, oh, really? Yeah. Put a lid on it, Frank. You've dished out a lot of dirt on your own. You created a lot of problems on your own. And now you're suddenly virtual signaling? Why? That's my question. Why? And all we can read into this is that Luntz is, he, he wants people not to go back. Don't think about the past. Don't go back past two months. Because if you do, you're going to find out that my roommate has lied. JFK once said he wanted the best and the brightest to work in the government. And that happened. Take a look at NASA at the time. They were able to put a man on the moon. They had the best and the brightest, and they were able to put a man on the moon. But I don't think we have that today. And this is part of the swamp. This is the swamp mentality is what we have today. It's not about helping your country. It's about your own self-betterment. And that's part of the problem what we have in Washington. You know, people used to go to government. They used to go into government. They used to go to Washington to help the country. But today, it's just about making connections so I can get another job, private sector, some think tank, some political organization where I can make more money. And that's the problem we have today. Because the people that are going to Washington do not have your interests at heart. They have their own interests at heart, number one. And if they can sacrifice the American people to move ahead their own career, they will. And with that said, I want to take us to an article. It's in the New York Post. And it has to do with a text that Hope Hicks, one of the close aides to Donald Trump, sent to the, uh, I think, the chief of staff to Ivanka Trump. And this is just typical of the mentality in the White House or the people in Washington. And and this is from the Post, and the headline says, Trump aides were F blank blank K-E-D by the Capitol riot, Hope Hicks wrote in the text. And it says here, former President Donald Trump's White House advisor, Hope Hicks, fumed on January 6, 2021, that the outgoing president's aides were all F blank blank K-E-D. And I would say the word, but my mother's listening. And likely to be perpetually unemployed after a wild mob of Trump supporters stormed the Capitol. Quote, in one day, he ended every future opportunity that doesn't include speaking engagements at the local Proud Boys chapter. Hicks wrote in a text message to first daughter Ivanka Trump's then chief of staff, Julia Radford, referring to the extremist group, the Proud Boys, that helped lead the riot. I'm not sure if that's true. And all of us that didn't have jobs lined up will be perpetually unemployed, Hicks vented. I'm so mad and upset. We all look like domestic terrorists now. Oh, yes, Radford answered. I've been crying for an hour. But we've got all this mayhem going on in Washington. And all these people can think about is their own careers. Nothing about what they can do to help the situation. All about them. And this is what we have that go, uh, going on in Washington right now. Every man is in it for themselves. They're not in it for the American citizen. They're not, not in it for you. 
They're not in it for me. They're all in it for themselves. What can they do? They're all free agents trying to cut deals at the expense of the American people. And this is just typical right here. And again, she was close to Trump, but you know what? She's got the same mentality. And it seems like the people around Ivanka Trump too had the same mentality. And again, that's got to change. And that's why I'm pushing for these patriots. This whole mentality has to change. So we shall see. I want to talk about an interesting article I read, and uh, this is from uh, CNBC. And the headline says, share of new car buyers with a monthly payment of more than $1,000 per month hits a record high. And it says here, financing a newer used car is more expensive than ever, new research shows. It says, amid rising interest rates and elevated auto prices, the share of new car buyers with a monthly payment of more than $1,000 jumped to a record high. For the first time, just over 15% of consumers financed a new car in the fourth quarter of 22, committed to a monthly payment of $1,000 or more, the highest level on record compared with 10.5% a year ago, according to Edmonds. The average price paid for a new car in December set a record at $46,382, according to a separate estimate from J.D. Powers. While there are signs the market is cooling, sticker prices are up 2.5% from a year ago. This is just out of line. I mean, people are spending $1,000 a month on a car. I mean, to me, you know, that's a mortgage payment for some people. And they're spending on a car. If there's anything that is a bad investment or cars, as soon as you drive a car off the lot, it just depreciates 25%. And you're spending $1,000. Imagine, what's the price of $1,000? You spend $1,000 a month on a $46,000 car? So you drive that $46,000 car right off the lot, it loses 25%. And now you're spending $1,000 a month on a car worth what? About $34,000? Now the article goes on and says, now more consumers face monthly payments that likely they cannot afford. According to Ivan Drury, Edmonds Director of Insights, car buyers are hit with shock and awe as high prices and rising rates cause monthly payments to balloon, he said. Many Americans are also choosing more expensive SUVs and pickups with all the bells and whistles, he added, which can add 30% or more to the base price. Base models, while enticing in theory, rarely hit the streets, Drury said, cautioning car shoppers should ask themselves if they're buying too much car. There could be a perfectly good substitute at about half the cost, he added. And really, if there is a, a bad financial decision that anyone can make, it's buying a car that is just too expensive. You may be able to afford it, but w- at what price? You're shelling out $1,000 a month for a car, but you've got to worry about feeding your kid or making a mortgage payment? I knew a really, really wealthy person and extremely wealthy. And he always told me, he goes, you know, the really wealthy people aren't the ones that are driving the $80,000, $90,000 cars. The really wealthy people are the ones that are just driving regular cars. They don't want, to know, they don't want you to know how wealthy they are. So all these people that flash, that's all they're doing. They're just flashing. I don't know. You know. Look, people are going to have to learn the hard way on this. And once these layoffs come, once the economy slows down even more, 
these people that are spending $1,000 on cars are going to get stuck. And I think there was a report out maybe a month or two ago that said repossessions of cars have hit an all-time high. Should you be surprised? So we shall see. It's 12.30 in the morning of January 7th, 2023. And it took 15 rounds, but Kevin McCarthy is the Speaker of the House. And he won it with 216 votes, with six Republicans voting present. And here is what McCarthy conceded to. And this is a good day. This is a good day for the Patriots. These following concessions are a big win for the Patriots. And let me just start with the first one. And this is all coming from Politico. Uh, The first item that McCarthy conceded to is he conceded to a budget that will balance over 10 years. The second item that he conceded to is capping discretionary spending at 2022 levels or lower. The third item, in the event of a looming shutdown, the House will pass a stopgap spending bill at 98% of current funding and triggering automatic spending cuts. And fourth, which I think is extremely important, is there will be three seats on the House Rules Committee that will be filled by MAGA candidates. And again, this is a good win all around. This is good for democracy. This is good for the patriots. This is good for everyone involved. And again, don't listen to the Democrats. Don't listen to the media. This is how democracy plays out. It's sometimes sloppy, but there are a lot of wins here. And you got to give kudos to the original 20 that started this. And more details will come out as the week progresses. And with that said, you have a good week. Thanks for listening. And I will talk to you next Saturday.